ahead and close out where we're at. And obviously, anything that's left undone, if you obviously pick that up, even at home, praying through it. Um, but we're mer- working on in Leviticus, and I sign up for a reading. There's no readings to sign up for. Just a quick reminder again, I love to show this, this graph because though it may not have the perfect layout, it does give us a scope of where we're at. And you can see we've moved ourselves all the way to here. The topic of moral purity c- comes up and working on 18, 19, and 20, working through these details. And we got through 18 last week, and now we're diving into 19 and 20. Uh, chapter 19 covers um, basically a multitude of topics ranging from religious duties to neighbor, neighborliness. So they have that idea of your arm around somebody and helping them and some closing more eclectic groups of commands. Uh, the chapter often centers around the statement, I am the Lord, which if we talk about the reality of separation, which they, they deal with, 18 through 20 deals with this idea of the being set apart being not of the world, being not like the world. And that's a topic that was important to the nation of Israel. God's command was there, but it's important today. We are, and I just say this, a worldly church. Uh, We act sadly more like the nation of Israel did in disobedience than they do in obedience. And so these chapters actually, though having some of the more interesting laws laid out and some of more some things awkward to read we've we've noticed how it tells us to be uh, set apart and so we're going to see it listed and we're going to see these 10 commandments are also going to be expanded on you're going to see them honor your father and mother there's going to be this idea of no other gods and it, it's going to be in a practical kind of application so we're going to start off looking at some of those religious duties reading number one Bob I know your name's on that list from before so why don't you pop up and read 19 1 through 8 that's how I take volunteers it's the first name that pops in my brain so just hope you have a difficult name otherwise you're up there uh, to read but if you don't mind reading chapter 19 1 through 8 okay Leviticus 19 and the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day, And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is and if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. All right, we're going to, he did one extra verse, so we get halfway through the next reading, so I'll just do that one, it'll be one verse. But uh, this chapter begins with a call that should be familiar for us, right? When we started this being separate, we talked about a Leviticus 11.45, which led off a lot of the laws that were on the other side of the graph, the ritual purity, be holy because God is holy. And it carries this idea of order and not confusion. And you see listed certain commandments, and I call them the very practical commandments. 
Some of the things were deep theological things, honoring your father and mother as a a day-to-day activity that would unfold for them. Keeping the Sabbath is going to be a weekly thing that's going to come up, and you see these commands coming in. Do right, it says, and don't engage in deceit or crimes. Now from holy, it moves to some of those specific commands, expanding on them, and then you kind of come down of not engaging in idolatry. You see those ones, honoring the authority that God's placed in front of you, keeping his day, and then making sure you don't dive into the worship that is surrounding you, the idolatry that's so easy to fall into. And you might think, well, nowadays we don't worship any idols. Well, you worship yourself more than you think. Uh, Heather was listening to somebody talk, was a counseling um, podcast, and just listening through, and they're talking about when you're a people pleaser, Ultimately, you're a self-pleaser because you want what they give you when they're happy with you. And you see how you say, no, I serve other people. Well, you do it because you want them to be pleased with you, which is, again, elevating self, which is just idolatry of humanity. And that's what we struggle with today. We don't put a God up here because those gods all represented something. All the immorality that they worshipped and engaged in was just a cloak to worship whatever I want to do. Our society has stripped away the God, and all they do is say, I do whatever I want to do. I worship my desires. And so you see that. Then he moves to an interesting one, which is the whole peace offering, which if you think about it, it just reminds us yet again that when they ate meat, they offered it as a peace offering. So what's more practical than if you're eating meat, you better do it the way God wants you to do. It needs to be voluntary. It needs to be eaten on the first or second day. And they spells it out for us doing things according to God's regulations. Why? And we're going to hear this repeated, because they were to obey God and be set apart to him. I put a question here. I call it a thought question to to trigger our minds. Do we respond to that requirement today, obey God because he said so, or do we want more from God if we're going to obey him? I want you to think about that for a second, because I find so often that God lists what he wants done, and someone will say to the response of that, well, then tell me why I should do what God says. Right? Have you heard that? Well, why should I do that today? Why should I obey that today? That's not relevant to me today. Those are all things of someone saying to God, I will obey you if you can prove to me that it makes sense to obey you. And what the Israelites learn, and we have to learn, is that God doesn't owe us an explanation for our obedience. You obey God, why? Because he's God. That's it. And Christians today, and just think about it for a second, because I, I, I read that, I wrote the thought question, and then I'm reading it, and I think, ooh, That hits home because I love to reason. I love to negotiate and and to do that. And you know, the most dangerous negotiation we make is when we start negotiating with God about whether or not we should obey him. What we want to know from God is what is my reward for obedience, right? If I follow God, I have heard some people say this, I've been doing what God wants me to do, and, and, and my life's not better. I still have problems. Oh. So you're obeying God, not because he's God. You're obeying God because you expect God to give you goodies, right? 
We want a reward for our obedience. And what we don't know is that's the reward we give God for being his child. What does God deserve from you? Obedience. Not because he'll give you something else, but because he is holy. He's set apart. He's God. Why do we obey God? Because he's God. And if you think about it for a second, you hit a big pause button. How do we respond to God's commands? I will obey them if they benefit me. That's a pharisaical look. It is a worldly look. You can tie all these people in. I obey God for what I get out of it. I will follow God's path if he makes sure he sends me a spouse. I will follow God's path so I don't get fired at work. I will obey God. And then when things happen in this life that are unexpected or aren't what we we want or what anyone would want, we say to God, I obeyed you. Why am I walking through this? And that's because our obedience was always being done from the wrong motive. Israel is prodded forward to actually one of the, the biggest things to understand. I am responding to who God is by obeying him. And your obedience without question speaks a lot to how you see God. Worthy, right? What does Revelation say? Who's worthy? The lamb is worthy to open the book. God is worthy of obedience because of who he is. And Israel's looking at that. Now, we know there's going to be because of what he does, and that's the redemptive purpose that's there. But God is worthy of obedience because of who he is as God. And he's driving us to see that and to understand it a little bit more. Um, The next topic is half read by Bob, so I'm going to finish reading it up for him. But it's this topic of reaping and the gleanings being left over for the poor. And so I'm going to read it again. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. In other words, go harvest your field, but don't back up into the corner to get that last grain. Save that corner piece. And don't go back and pick up the little things that were dropped. Don't go over and, and, and basically nitpick your field so that you've gotten every ounce of it. Leave the corners, and it's going to say Why? And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. In other words, when you're doing harvest, don't go get everything that's there. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. And and there's a couple things that are really critical to grasp here. And I think we saw it with Ruth, right? Boaz leaves what? He leaves the droppings and he leaves the corners, And that was considered or was supposed to be a kindness that was offered to those who are less fortunate or would be struggling at that moment. Ruth wasn't always going to have to do that. At some point, she marries Boaz, and she doesn't have to gather that. But when she comes back with her mother-in-law, she needs to gather those things. But here's what's really interesting. What was required of the poor in that kindness? What did they have to do? They had to go get it. You left for them an opportunity. I'm saying this not because I'm trying to make a social or political statement. I want us to to attach to something that is critical, that God has actually shown us the right way to deal with things. I'm going to now apply this to what we do today. When someone asks you about welfare... Why do, and and people get really ramped up about this, 
what is one reason why the welfare system doesn't seem to work? What is it? It's a handout. But then right away, and I've talked to people, they say, well, you're a hard-hearted person. These people are not as fortunate as you. And I would agree with them that people are in situations where they're not as fortunate as we are. What is never going to work in this world? Handout. I want you to see the principle from God's word. What did he do? He said, leave opportunity. Don't back the tractor up in the corner and take everything. Don't go pick everything. No, instead, leave an opportunity, not a handout. Uh, Interestingly enough, I read a book on, it's called When Helping Hurts. This is years ago. I remember the title and not much more. I mean, I remember the principles of it. They talk about how there's times when you're, you're not to give something out because actually you don't help anyone. It doesn't help at all. Uh, we've actually seen some of our own propensity in mission work where it becomes detrimental. Uh, I have this desire to finish things. So I'm going to share the roof story again. I go see a guy and there's no roof And so it's obvious that helping this church put a roof on after they've built their walls and a third of the roof, it makes sense to dive in. But the floor of the church is dirt and it slopes down like this. And there was a huge compulsion to me like, we got to get the floor fixed and doors on the wall and windows up. And what we've done sometimes in our impatience is stolen the opportunity that they would have had to work for it. That church values that roof more than any church I've ever, ever had the opportunity to be a part of helping. Why? They just spent five years building walls, selling soup to people in their town to raise money to do it. And the gift, and and here's the amazing thing. They see God's hand in the roof. They've lost sight of ours. You know what happens when you come in and swoop in and fix everything? Guess whose hands they don't see anymore? God's. And the fact is, it is God's because our ability is given by God. But what have we done? Stolen the glory that's there. But the kindness that is mandated as people glean it, they see the kindness as God's hand working through it. And we, by becoming a handout society, which permeates the world, destroy the opportunity someone has to actually put forth effort and do it. I share all that because God's word gives insights and principles to the governance of humanity and to society. I'm not saying you're finding a direct link every time. I just want to encourage you, who would have thought tucked into the moral purity of Israel would be an obvious way to see helping people less fortunate? And I want you to see two words. Opportunity is key and kindness is key. There's a lot of people that hand things out to those less fortunate, and they do so with an ugly heart, a belittling heart, a demeaning heart. Notice what God does. There is an elevation of opportunity linked to kindness, not a begrudge, I guess since I have more money, I better help you. Not that. Kindness in that you gave opportunity to someone less fortunate you to engage and then reap their own harvest and have some pride in the work that they accomplished as they worked and served. And so we see God's principles coming out. Now, I want us to remember something. Our government is not God. 
even though the U.S. government and the country United States, I'm proud to be an American and I'm happy. I never think that our political system resembles God in any way, shape, or form. My prayer is that our politicians will become believers because they'll make the best decision from being God's child. But I in no way ever think that any government in the world will replicate God. And so while we see the principles that are there, let's not start seeing our government as God in any way, shape, or form. Or do we want them to function like God in any way, shape, or form? It's a chance to be completely misguided in how you would see God's word and apply it. What I put here is, do I know biblical responses to certain components of our society and governance? How can I know what to say? And I would just challenge you, go to God's Word. Read the books that are often overlooked, and you'll be shocked how God has instructed us to engage and interact and to function. Um, Let's move now to 19, 11 through 18. We'll skip 9 and 10 since I took care of that one. We're actually halfway took care of it with Mr. Price there. If someone can read 11 through 18, if they want to jump up to the mic because they're just dying to be in front of it. Or I can say, Tom, if you don't mind jumping up to the mic. <laughs> the names I can remember at the tip of my tongue. Or if I keep staring at you, that means I've picked you. It's like a just laser beer. You got to get a tougher name or just change it up, you know, switch. That's going to be, this is my name for the day. You know, like you can put it on there. be a lot of fun. We're looking out at neighborliness, uh, Leviticus 19, 11 through 18. Leviticus 19, 11 through 18. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man shall not remain in you, with you overnight until morning. You shall not curse the deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you shall judge your neighbor in righteousness. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor and so not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance and you shall not keep your anger against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. A bunch or a host of things I put first and foremost. Be honest in your dealings. No sneaky moves, no tricks. If you fly to China and you do business in China, there's a underwritten or a rule that kind of permeates all of it. Their culture allows for deceit in dealings and the shame is on the one who is deceived. You ever heard the statement, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, which there is some validity to that. Neither of those are biblical principles. Fooling somebody is not a biblical principle. And so when we engage a culture and you look at it and say, what in the world? By sneaking someone, cutting in line in China is like what happened with me and my brother. We're in line and I'm not a get in your personal space kind of person at all. And so I'm going to leave sufficient room. We had three people cut in front of us. I was a lot younger, and I was like, I was just stamped up. My brother's like, look around you. We, we are not the majority, buddy, so just step back. The people behind us were furious with us. 
because we were being tricked and the problem is not the, 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 the jerk, so to speak, that got in front of us. We were the jerks in their mind. We were the fools that didn't stand close enough. And so they were very frustrated. This was what's benefit. I was here. My brother Anthony was behind me. He felt the wrath of being the deceived. And I'm the one saying, what? <laughs> Stepping forward. So we're just two confused guys. It took 30 minutes to get through a line where we were the next in line, but not necessarily the next in line. It was like five people before I realized that they really want me to stand that close to them. So I just walked up right behind a guy. I would show you, but it makes me uncomfortable. And so I'm like leaning over, reading his social security number, not that they have one, but, oh, is that your bank account number? I could use that, you know, that kind of idea. And they were fine. That didn't bother them at all because I slipped right to the counter and everything was okay. But it took us a little bit. But their culture said, this is fine. The Bible says, that's not fine. It's not okay. You ever heard, and and I even do this, uh, the world acts a certain way, and we think, well, I'm going to act that way if they act that way. Not a biblical principle. The situation doesn't change your ethic. And that's tough sometimes. So in China, I'm not going to get one over on the people I work with. I can be not a fool, right? Wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, and recognize they're going to try to get one over on me any chance they get. Don't need to expect them to do what's right, but God expects me to do what's right and gives me no excuse otherwise. Um, I put here, and don't swear on the Bible to help prove your point. <laughs> Someone said that to me in ministry. Oh, swear on the Bible that what I'm telling you is the truth. Not this last trip. It was before that. And I'm like, well, you should just say yes and say no. You shouldn't need to tell me that you're going to put your hand on God's word for this to be the truth. If you're a believer, it should just be the truth. You shouldn't need that. And God's saying that to us. Just do what is right. Be on time and paying and don't cheat the workers. Just because you can get it over on them. Have enough integrity not to talk about or slander the deaf. Right? Why? They can't hear you. So if someone has no hearing and I just talk about them and we mock them and make fun of them, we see the ugliness in that, right? Because they can't hear what we're saying. How many here speak another language? Right? Have you ever fallen into the trap of talking about people you're around that don't speak that language? Slandering the deaf. They don't know what you're saying. That's not right. That hits us all, right? I speak two languages, decent, and I understand a third one fairly well. It's not right. Why? Because you're not supposed to talk about them and they not understand you. I had colleagues of mine, they're in a car for eight hours with a guy they don't think speaks Dutch. Eight hours later, they get out of the car and the guy turns to him in Dutch and says, I really appreciate the fact that you guys never talked about me, even though you would have never known I spoke Dutch. And that was my colleague, he's unsaved, but he says, I made it a courtesy and I told all my workers, I'll never talk about you. If you hear me speaking another language, I promise you, I will never talk about you in another language that you could hear it. If I was going to talk about you in that language, I'll switch to English. I'll have enough integrity not to do that. That's tough. If you don't speak another language, you have no idea what I'm talking about. When you speak another language, you understand this because, boy, sometimes you want to make some funny jokes about people, and you can't. You're not supposed to. It's slander. It's wrong, right? It catches us because God is clear. Don't slander the deaf. And then what is it? Throwing something in front of the blind? They can't see it, so you trip up the blind. Doesn't he make it very poignant to us? 
What, what are you, are you trying to trip someone up who can't see? Sounds awful, right? Then we have to start thinking about how we do that with what we do. Remember who your Lord is. And let me add a little caveat and who their Lord is. You don't want God's wrath and judgment on you for what you've done. Can you imagine you're hearing this? Don't trip the, de- don't trip the blind and don't talk about the deaf. And he says, because I'm the Lord. And you start realizing, and we lose the gravity of this, of what God can do. See, God's wrath, and this is something that the world has misunderstood. God's wrath's not coming on the unredeemed. God's wrath sits over the unredeemed right now. It is on them. And you start recognizing that God is not just waiting to deal with. He is dealing with everything in his time. Doesn't have to be like, well, I'll just get everything straight right before I die. Actually, God's wrath sits over your life now if you're unredeemed. Now, I want us to kind of hit on verse 15. Because it does talk clearly about a very sensitive topic. So, Hit the pause button on the sensitivity for a second. I recognize that people might disagree one way or the other. I want you to see God's word. 15, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in how you evaluate, and how you rule. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor. That's fascinating, right? Don't cut unrighteous slack for somebody because they don't have enough money or they're poor or they've been beat down in society. Don't, it says, to continue, give extra benefits to someone who has a little extra cash. Right? If we're seeing this verse as we read it through, it says, thou shalt not respect the person of the poor. And then it says the next one, nor honor the person of the mighty. In other words, it's coming into court. Let me give you a scenario that's not as charged as the one I'm about to touch on, and then you can just let it sit, you know, or walk out, whatever you want to do. But um, do you remember the ruling on the lady with the hot coffee from McDonald's? And she took a hot cup of coffee that's known to be hot and says it's hot. And who here thinks coffee's cold? Right? Took said cup of coffee, set it in her lap, drove out, burned her legs, sued McDonald's, and won a ridiculous amount of money. And you had a split. Well, I don't know many times I've heard. McDonald's got that kind of money. There, and that's what happened. Uh, whether you, whatever your viewpoint is, and I'm, I'm confident enough to say this, that was a, a, a case that was awarded because the person who was sued was seen as money, and the jury decided that we're going to give them money. Because I'm going to say this, even to the person who won the case, if you put a hot cup of coffee in your lap, and get burned, there's only one person you can blame. Would we agree with that to some extent? Enough common sense here. Even though you're happy, maybe she won some money from McDonald's, you're paying for it right now because what could be a cheap cup of coffee just gone up. You know, blame her for that one, right? But the reality is what happened in that situation? We leaned towards someone we thought had it tougher and took from the one we thought might have more. God hates that. Ye shall not do or do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Now, 
I'm going to throw it out so you're ready what I'm going. You ever heard of critical race theory? Let me explain what it boils down to. It's a point system. If you've been oppressed in society, and let's be honest, people have been oppressed in society. You just have to read history to realize. And I want you to recognize something. That verse speaks to that era as well. It was wicked. It was horrible, right? Do you fix that by making a point system today doing the same thing? How do we know how to evaluate that kind of thinking? It's difficult. I've entered this conversation where people didn't, had a different viewpoint. And it's sensitive to walk into it because on this side is oppression that is awful. And so you speak to what took place and you say, I don't, I don't agree with that. That was awful. And what took place there was wickedness. But wickedness is not resolved by wickedness. So teaching people that there's a level of who is more valuable now than before, saying, and this is basically the gist of it. One group of people were devalued at this time, and so to even it up, we have to flip the seesaw, right? It has to go like this. But that's not what God said. What does he say? Judge in righteousness. And so I'm talking to people because I know this is very emotionally charged, and we have a side that we see as awful. I mean, you, you can read the biographies, you can read the stories, and this is not just what the media spun. I mean, you're looking at history, and history doesn't look good. And actually, if you read even more, you re- realize how wicked people were to even other groups as well. Um, we are well aware of the, the Holocaust and against the Jews. We're well aware of the racism that permeated our country, and let's be honest, still permeates our country. You know where racism comes from? The devil. Because God doesn't have race. We're his children. Who came up with the dividing line? Man, wickedness. But to now say, I need to fix this by leaning the scales the other way. Do you see how we're just fixing wickedness with wickedness? It doesn't work. Chicago. They passed a reparations law, 25000 to a household, and then they had to decide what households got the money. Guess what people are doing now? Who have received the 25000 Suing, because it's not enough, and it ain't right, and I should have got more, and why didn't this person? What about the people who weren't selected to receive this? What are they doing? Suing, well, they're paying, but there's other groups that they're in the lump sum of people that could receive it, and guess what? They're unhappy. Why? You can't fix wickedness with wickedness. You cannot do unrighteousness and expect righteousness from it. How does a Christian enter this fray? Because you have to enter it. Well, I'm not going to enter this fray by wickedness, right? And there's a very important step. This is a charged topic, all right? So this, 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 you had people who are on the other spectrum politically saying for some of the most vile things who are charged up fighting against this in Northern Virginia. And it's, been, it's, it's one of the reasons this issue alone is one of the reasons why Youngkin is governor, because this issue was so explosive. It turned the scales in our state to a different way. I look at that and I would say, God can do anything with anything. <laughs> he can take 
But how do we answer this? Well, the, the wrong way is to be ugly about it. You can't fix wickedness with wickedness. The same as over here, you couldn't fix it with wickedness. How do we walk into it to take every situation and judge equally? That sounds good, right? Because I'm talking about the other end of the spectrum. Let me flip it even harder. How do you deal with somebody who disagrees with you on this issue? <laughs> That's what worries me. Uh, right, but we are going to teach truth, but how do we deal with it? Not with wickedness. Not by ugliness. Not by nastiness. How does a Christian walk through an issue they know what God wants? Love. Care. Now, but can care tip the scales? God's Word says no. What's the way you do it? Truth. Right. I'm going to say something that sounds silly. Do it right. That's what God says. Well, they've done it wrong for this year. Yeah, but God says you do it right. And sadly, we see people trying to do what they think is right the wrong way. How can we shine in this world? Well, it's not capitulating to what's going on. The, the woke agenda, which by the way, I chuckle because a bunch of people, pastors wrote books about being woke and now woke's a bad term. So it's just kind of humorous to me. I'm like, well, I guess you got to change the title of your book, you know. Uh, even people I read, Paul Tripp went off the deep end on this stuff. A bunch of guys did. Um, but here's the reality to the situation. It's not going to be in my attack on something. It's going to be in the right way that I handle what I do constantly, whether this person has been awful in the 60s, 70s, and carrying that demeanor, because you see that crop up, have we not? Guys that maybe, and ladies, it might be politically where we are, but we're like, their behavior is despicable. Wickedness does not fix wickedness. You know how God wants you to handle this? Do it right, which is where we get the word righteous, do it holy, or to make it really simple, deal with them the way God would. God does not tip the scales. How do I know that the woke agenda is wrong? Because it tips the scales. How do I know that racism is wrong? Because it tips the scales. It needs to be right. How do we deal with it? Be right. But Kenny, someone's pushing the scales down real hard, so I need to push down hard on this end to level it up. No, you don't. You do it right. Believers, in this charged climate that we deal in, being the light is not agreeing with darkness. Being the light is not trying to be the opposite of the political position of the person who's in the dark. Being the light is doing things like God wants them done, no matter what way the seesaw of this world is tipping. Do it right. Be righteous. I do this and share a hot-button topic, not because I want to dive into that cesspool at all. <laughs> I want you to see something again. God's Word answers our questions. Who gives you the balance, right? You follow his perspective. Now, here's the thing I'm going to spin. What is one of the things I keep talking about? Read your what? From what end to what end? 
read the whole thing. You know why? Because this to me is, is about a straightforward, because here's what God is saying. God is clear. No injustice for any reason, no matter what the history or emotions. We act right today toward all people. Act righteous. Why in the world is there so much confusion in the Christian world? And I think it comes down to one simple thing. They don't read their Bible and treat it like the authority that it is. I think they haven't read this verse because this is the least read book of the Bible by Christians today. I had two pastors. One is my father-in-law. Another is a friend of mine, Mark Manning. So I'm throwing them under the bus if they see that. Who said, I'm going to kill the church preaching on Job and on Leviticus. Now, I understand Job can get dragged on a little bit, and Leviticus can too, but what's the, what's the thought behind it? It's not worth teaching on, or you need to make sure you move through it too quick. What happens when you move through things too quickly? You miss what God says. I walk into Nicaragua, and they're topical preachers who jump from Old Testament stories. So at Skylark, up until the point, that camp that I preached at Nicaragua, I was the first message from the New Testament at all. Even the other gringo that preached was from the Old Testament. Is it bad to preach from the Old Testament? I spent books and books, and look, I'm diving into Judges soon. So it's, it's going to be plenty of Old Testament. Why do they preach from the Old Testament? Because they can grab a story and make their point. And so I am purposely preached from... First Peter, look, one guy said to me, he said, Kenny, that's just, that's just mature. In other words, that's like dry wood, Kenny. We're just shawing on the whole time, and we want nothing to do with it. I'm going to preach expository to them from now until the time I die because I'm going to teach, by example, how you should break down God's Word. You're not using it as a launching pad. But if we're not willing to go through God's Word, then we will miss what God tells us. And here in just five verses... I would say we touched on two hot topic items in our society, and the fact is you can watch how government after government has not done it right. But we as Christians can see how we can do it right. But I want to leave this topic with this. Do it right. You're not rebalancing the scale. You judge right today, no matter what the history or the emotions are surrounding it. The emotions might be high, they might be low, the history might be dark, it might be light. What do you do? I do what God, and that's what the perfect thing, I will follow God in what He wants me to do. And as believers, we do well to dive into God's Word when these issues come up. I'm not saying you can't trust your political party. I think you know you can't trust your political party, all right? Uh, that's just a reality. I'm not saying that you can be in any party and everything's fine, all right? When someone's for wickedness and murdering babies, I'll be the first to tell you. You vote for that person, you voted for death and murder, and that's wrong. But I'm not going to stand here and say the other side of the equation are some saints that are they're the nicest and brightest I've ever seen in my life. It doesn't look good. I mean, it's just, you know, so, and we're too close to D.C. We see him too clearly, right? It's right there. But follow God, which is a perfect one. And you do that 
not through your emotions, but by being in God's word and reading what he says and then discerning from there what goes on. And I want to, am probably beating this too long and I'm taking way too much of my time. I have, but that's all right. It's important. Be in God's word. Because you don't need me to say this to you. If you're reading Leviticus for yourself and thinking about life, you see this. He says, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Judge righteously. Right. Do right. The list continues. Don't slander. Don't hold hate in your heart for your neighbor. Instead, be up front and love them like yourself. Why? Because God says, I am the Lord. If you underline in your Bible and you're working through these three chapters, underline every time God says, I am holy, be holy, and underline every time he says, I am the Lord, which are actually turning points amongst every conversation we're going to be in on these three chapters. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Why do you keep the Ten Commandments? Because I am the Lord. Why do you do this? Why do you treat your neighbor right? Why do you respond the way God does? Because I am the Lord. Why are you doing this? Not because you feel like it. Not because you even think that maybe that's the right way to do it. You do this because he is the Lord. Period. That's all we need. Not because, and, and he will bless a nation, right? That honors him. But I don't honor him as a believer so that the United States will be blessed. I honor him as a believer, because he's the Lord. And if we change our disposition from a reward-based obedience to obedience because he's God, obedience, one, it will change your life in perspective, but you know what you'll do? Your light beams out because everyone can pick out the person who serves for the reward. And everyone can see clearly the person who serves because of who they are serving. I'm going to use a military example. Our heroes in the military serve their country. Why? Because they got a fat paycheck? Because it was their country. And you can see that there. And then we serve something far above that. And we turn to him and say, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? I've obeyed God. What are you going to give me? And see, the Israelites were driven to understand this idea. I am the Lord. Why do you obey God? He's the Lord. How do you know what God wants you to do? Read his word. Where should you read his word? And I said it a week ago, two weeks ago on the message, and I, I don't back from it. Don't tell me you read God's word when you bounce around looking for something that you want to hear from his word. That's not reading his word. And then you don't dare tell me that you believe it's the inspired word of God when you approach God's word that way. So if this, again, mashes on toes, I'm done with Christians who say they follow God but have his word in their language, whatever vernacular you want to use, and they don't read it. It's not your authority, nor is it authoritative, if you don't open it up and you don't follow what it says. And we do no Christian any favor by letting them know a minute a day will take the devil away. It ain't going to work. God's not honored or blessed in that. So I, I, don't, I don't read your Bible, not going to go to worship. There's some problems there. If you can't be in God's word on your own, there's some problems there. I don't want you to do this experiment because you're not supposed to, but if you've ever gone through a time where you miss reading God's word a little bit 
and you have a chance to reflect on how you responded to situations, it's never pretty. I've seen the reverse of it. I think I've shared this before. I'm in my 20s. And actually, my dad helped me here. My mom's been the best example for reading. My dad one time said, uh, I just got out of college. And he says, you're a miserable person to work with. Uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's nice, dad. He says, are you reading your Bible? And I said, I'm working till 1 a.m. Place had burned down. I don't have time to do that before I go to work. And he said, read your Bible at work. I don't want you to work without reading your Bible. So I started doing that. Went skiing with a colleague, unsaved, by the way knows religion, on a ski lift, and he says, what drugs are you on? I'm like, I'm on no drugs that I know of unless they're slipping into my food, you know? And he's, I said, why are you saying that? You're different. I said, how long have I been different? He said, five weeks. You know, I could trace it back to the day. That's when I started getting back in the habit. It was a habit for my whole life. Got into work, made the same excuses you always make, right? I'm too busy. I'm too tired. And it changes you. And so I have the evidence of an unbeliever looking into my life, and I know deep inside of me, if I don't read God's Word for myself, I'm going to be an awful person because God commanded to read it. And so we'll stop there, and this is apparently not going to be two lessons. It's going to be three. Um, But understand this, and and again, I want to kind of help us see it and, and again, say beat a dead horse. God's spoken to the issues of today, maybe not with a direct mandate like, such and such law is wrong or right. But if you go to his word and you are discerning as you approach it, he, can, he does reveal to us how something will or will not work. And now it's no longer my opinion. It's something I see from God's word. Uh, as another family member told me this years ago, I was in a situation, a work situation, where I was selling to a Lowe's buyer and it was a very crass individual. Um, just making comments and stuff. And I had a comeback for him, slightly, slightly, uh, I would say slightly religious, but not really religious. It was a comeback that would have been from the world, if you would say that. And I was talking to my uncles about it one time, and the uncle said to me, he says, Kenny, just always answer him from God's word and let him argue with God about it. And I thought to myself, huh. But he doesn't respect God's word. He said, just, just still give him God's word. Let him argue with God. God. And I would say, encourage us as you approach situations and some of these supercharged ones, go to God's word and use God's word to reason. And they might spurn God's word. They might try to trample it down. But you know who they're arguing with now? It's not you and your opinion. You're arguing with God. Logan said, you follow God. Let that be. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And so if you want to beat and yell and hate that, then you're hating God. You're not hating God. On me, But when we go with our own opinion, well, boy, we throw ourselves in one camp and we're there. And guess what? I guarantee after a while, you're like, I don't like my campmates. There's something wrong about them. But you're with God. He will never, ever shame you. He is always doing right. And so we act that way. Let's go ahead and uh, close for the night with a short word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Hey, Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word and thank you for Leviticus. Uh, Thank you for revealing to us how your word is true, that it speaks to everything today. And just in this short passage, we've noticed two slightly charged topics in our society where we can see how the world is not answering it correctly, Uh, not to give us ammunition to attack them, but to remind us of your passion for righteousness and how we are to deal with today in the righteousness that you provide for us, the standard that you lay out. And I ask that as believers, we live in a 
a, a politically charged climate. And it's not solved with compromise. Uh, but it's not spreading your light to be obnoxious and hateful. I hope that, Lord, you give us the discernment to see your way and to preach your word and to be the light that you've called us to be. Even when that confronts our own maybe likes, maybe when it confronts even our own way of talking and doing things, that will change as you've instructed us. Uh, let us do what is righteous in every circumstance, and in that circumstance, do what is righteous. Uh, you've made it clear. We, we look at what is the issue at hand, and we judge correctly in that, not giving partiality to either side. And James repeats that very clearly in James chapter 2. Uh, we're not to be partial, and that is one way that we spread your light, uh, that we show that there's a distinct difference in us, that we don't get caught up in our own emotions, but instead uh, what we do replicates you. Help us to have a heart to, as we read through Leviticus, to understand uh, the applications that need to be made, even when it's uh, difficult, and recognize what a beautiful and wonderful God you are. Your grace and mercy permeates every command that you give uh, because it's for our benefit in the end, and it's for us to fulfill our purpose, which is to glorify you. In your precious and holy name, amen.